Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast, the last one of 2016. I am your host, Sean Zock. We've got a different type of guest on today. You'd recognize him from his work on the very popular ESPN show, College Game Day, as well as on ESPN.com. Pretty soon, you'll see his face back on television as you watch ESPN's coverage of the college football playoffs. His name is Chris Felica, better known as The Bear. And each week, the Bear hands out his best picks against the spread as game day travels across the nation. And thanks to a little tip from a mutual friend of ours, that being Tom Rinaldi, I learned that Chris is a big-time golf fanatic and has contributed to ESPN's golf coverage for years as a senior researcher. That role, obviously, is made up of a bunch of unsung heroes. They cull stats for hours. They help the on-camera analysts sound as brilliant as they do with statistics and trends and figures, and everything that helps make a broadcast run smoothly. So let's get to Chris. Thank you, first off, for joining me and making some room in your schedule this week. You're calling in from Arizona right now, so how is the desert treating you? It's a, it's a great atmosphere right now. It's nice and dry, and, and no, uh, don't have to worry about any nor'easters or rain and, and wind or snow. So uh, it's sunny, low 70s, and... Uh, It'll be even even more perfect conditions inside the uh, the stadium on uh, on Saturday afternoon for the uh, the semifinal between Ohio State and Clemson. Are you getting any golf in while you're out there, or do you not have time? No, no, I have zero time. And unfortunately, at the um, at, at the Western where we're staying, there's a nice, there's a nice course right behind the uh, the resort. Now, a couple colleagues of mine have uh, uh, they got, I think they said they got 16 yesterday before it got too dark. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, no time for me. Wow, what a tease to have a course right next to you the whole it time. Is. Big time tease. <laughs> well, so you, like you said, you've got Clemson and Ohio State. So in golf terms, I guess that would mean Lucas Glover and Jack Nicholas. Uh, so the advantage is clearly <laughs> going to be Ohio State there. Uh, but before we jump deep into into the golf land, what are your initial thoughts on uh, the game Saturday? I think the, the, the Clemson Ohio State game is is a pure toss up. I mean, it's recognized by the by the spread. I mean, Ohio State's three point favorite, and both of these teams, both these coaches, really like playing up the underdog disrespect card. And uh, with Dabo Swinney, uh, tight Clemson is, is the underdog in the game. Uh, he's been an underdog five times in bowl games. He's won four of them outright, and he covered the other game last year against Alabama in the championship game, where they led in the fourth quarter. And he has Ohio State, on the other hand, who even though they're a slight favorite, I think there are a lot of people out there who feel like Ohio State didn't win the Big Ten. Maybe they shouldn't be in the playoff. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, if you look at the resume that Ohio State had, beating Oklahoma, uh, beating Wisconsin, beating Michigan, I mean, those, those are three of the three quality wins that very few teams in the country will have. I mean, they're the three seed in the, in the, in the, in the 14 playoff is the lowest seed. And if you look at how Urban has done in top five matchups with the lowest seeded team, He's 5-0, and and the average margin of victory is 19 points. So you've got two teams who I think are very comfortable uh, in their role and their atmosphere. And I'm really curious to see how it plays out on the field on Saturday. I, I think if Clemson plays their best game and they avoid turnovers and Deshaun Watson has thrown a ton of picks, especially in the red zone, uh, I think Clemson has too many answers offensively for Ohio State. But if Ohio State's able to protect Barrett and maybe a secondary receiving option like a, like a K.J. Hill or a Paris Campbell step up for, for Ohio State, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Ohio State win and move on to the top of game. Yeah, that'll be the fun game. I know both games will be very fun on Saturday night. 
but one of them is predicted to be much closer than the other. That Ohio State team, in my perspective, has been has been a very intriguing. As you said, you can't argue with victories, right? You can't you can't say they didn't win the Big Ten. Uh, really, if they beat Michigan, they beat Ohio State, or they beat uh, Wisconsin. You know, they've got the victories out there. But uh, we- it, it, it's funny. It's funny because the Penn State people get all up in arms, and and I, and I said something out there about the two best teams in the Big Ten in Michigan, Ohio State, and some for Penn State. Like, oh, well, Penn State's the best team in the Big Ten. They won the Big Ten. And, uh, if, you're, if you're kind of pointing out that Penn State beat Ohio State, so they should be the best team in the Big Ten, but you kind of have to recall that Michigan beat Penn State 49-10. to 10. So it's, it, 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 it's funny, just depending on your, your fan affiliation and your perspective, you have, you have selective memory when it comes to results of certain games. Yeah, it's that's one unfortunate part about a – well, it's not a short season, but it's you've only got a limited number of games, and teams don't play every other team, and that's kind of how it goes. Um, now, the, the yeah, champ. You're, you're right. You're right. Amy. That's the biggest downside of what we've seen with, with conference expansion now is the unbalanced schedule and how the crossover teams you, you don't play everybody, and you're really and that's one of the biggest reasons why I like the fact that the conference championship is not mandatory to get into the playoff because. You look at a team like Virginia Tech in the ACC uh, during the regular season. They avoided uh, they avoided Clemson. They avoided Florida State. Uh, they avoided all the teams from the other side of the, of the ACC that made it made, would have made their schedule a lot more difficult. And, and that's why I like the fact. Uh, look at the whole body of work and base everything on that, as opposed to giving some conference championship a, uh, a be all end all. Yeah. So I mean, in the Big Ten, you're not exactly sure who the best team is. You're not exactly sure, uh, kind of similarly, who the best golfer in the world is. You know, the the world golf <laughs> rankings are they they do they serve a purpose, but there are certain certain things that could be changed about them. I that's my my best transition to the golf world. the uh, The championship golf season fits really well with the college football season in my eyes. The title game for college football is going to take place uh, just as the golf season really gets going in Hawaii. I assume that's kind of why guys like yourself, Tom Rinaldi, uh, Gene Wojciechowski are, are able to kind of cover each of these sports is, would you say that's, that's beneficial to your job that they kind of yeah, yeah. bookend? I, I, I think, I think, it, I think it fills in the gap nicely. And it, it's pretty funny how I really got started covering, uh, the, the golf events for the ESPN. I mean, I, I, I've been a golf fan all my life and, and played in, uh, in 2010, when we first had the uh, the World Cup, uh, Mike Tirico was one of the hosts of the World Cup, and he had hosted uh, the Open Championship uh, on ABC all, all those years. And uh, they needed someone to it, it, whoever they had working in the studio with them couldn't do it anymore, and they needed someone to could logically step in and be with Mike. And they knew Mike was going to be in Johannesburg and South Africa, and and Mike and they basically said, uh, "Why don't you do it?" And I'm like, "Absolutely, be great." Yeah, and so uh, 2010 was the first open that I that I worked. I was actually I was actually at the uh, the 2009 open at Turnberry, which is still one of the most uh, heartbreaking, dejected feelings I've ever had. Uh, watching a watching a sporting event, I mean, like everybody else in the world, one time watching to win that. But um, yeah, it, 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 my 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 golf uh, affection goes back a, a long ways, and I think the fact now that. Uh, we only have the Masters. It does fit in perfectly with post-big college football, uh, championship, the NCAA tournament until the Final Four, and Masters shows up 
And then after that, you got a couple months playoff for the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, and the PGA right before we get started for college football again. So it really does bridge the, the gap between the end of college football and the start of the following. Yeah, it, it really does. Now, I think when you think about ESPN's coverage, you've got Rinaldi and Andy North, and those guys go on camera a lot more often, and we're able to understand a lot easier what they do in terms of ESPN's uh, golf coverage, but I don't think yours would be as easily understandable to the eye. What exactly does uh, your job entail in terms of the golf world? In, ter- in terms of the, go- the golf coverage that I do, I try to approach it uh, the same way I approach my, my college football work. Um, I'll, I'll look for a lot of historical angles and graphics, all, all those things that you'll see on the air uh, during the telecast coming from something that I'm most likely something something that I've generated or my, my colleague Zach Jones who also does a lot of great work for us at ESPN on golf coverage um, but yeah so I'm looking for historical trends I'll, I'll plow through the, the, the HQ tour site and, and come up with it with interesting statistical nuggets for certain players whether it's a storyline we want to tell about a, a player or event or a certain struggle with a short game or a lot of irons or a purchase of the green party whatever it might be uh, I, I can remember a couple of years ago, Andy had a specific idea that he wanted on, uh, on Jordan Spieth and his putting and his, his, how he's so much better of a, a long putter than a, uh, and, and, and the numbers bore that out. So I was able to break stuff down for him for distance. And it's just talking with your analysts, knowing what they want to point out and emphasize and just trying to come up with the, the best information to, to make them look at this possible. Now, people that have heard about that, I know there's a couple guys at Golf Channel that do a really good job of that as well with their podcast at NBC and everything. Is that easy? Because it can't be. I know it cannot be easy to be scanning just years, decades worth of statistics from different ranges, and the golf course is different as compared to the football field being the same in every area. I'd like to say it's easy, but but it really isn't. And you're right about the people at the golf field. Justin Ray is a former colleague of mine at ESPN, and we're still friendly, and he does unbelievably great stuff as well. Um, but I, I like to, to. I would say that of all the events and all the things that I at least have a, a hand in, the Masters is the easiest thing for me to prepare for because the course is the same. It, it's usually it, it's the smallest field. You have the uh, the, the elite players, and it's a hand. And there aren't a lot of changes. You got a really good apples to apples historical type information uh, that, that you can look up. Whereas with you know the U.S. Open, the PGA certainly changed text courses every year, as well as even even the Open Championship. You look at uh, courses uh, that that your winning score could be like Mirfield, where you're going to look at maybe uh, two or three under par potentially winning, and then last year when you have uh, what you got 21 under par, I think I think is what uh, Stenson was last year when he won. So I mean uh, those events certainly it's it's harder to come up with a, a more apples to apples, and you just got to be a little bit more creative. Yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to end up getting, I think, to golf handicapping and, and trying to predict winners a little bit later. But what I wanted to talk to you about most is something that kind of still blows my mind is Tiger Woods in his prime and the kind of statistics that, that prove and disprove just his brilliance. Uh, I think it's really easy for everyone as golf fans to understand his dominance. The wins, the majors, you know, there are numbers to that that everybody knows by heart. Uh, but something that you probably wouldn't be able to uh, to certainly pull out of a hat or pull off the top of your head is his effect on the sports book in Vegas. And you know the conversation always kind of revolved around Tiger versus the field. 
and I'm a little bit too young to have been in the business at that point. But was that really the conversation, Tiger versus the field, back in 2001? Maybe again in 2006. Yes, it was. I, I can remember you know, our preview shows and our Sports Center segments. It was that was you would look in the preview show rundown, and it would be you taking Tiger, you taking everybody else, and that was the question. Or you could say you taking Tiger and Phil or everybody else, and it, it, it's crazy to think that now because you could say, okay, I'll give you. Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth, or Jason Day and, and Jordan Spieth against the field, and you're going to take the field. I mean, it was a no board. But back then, it was like yeah, Tiger and Phil at Augusta versus everyone else. I'll, I'll take Tiger and Phil. Uh, Tiger and Phil at, at, at Pebble or in the U.S. I'll take them. I mean, it's it, it crazy to think. I, mean, I think Tiger was five to two or shorter in every major from like a from 1997 through 2003 or something like that. It really was something uh, ridiculous like that. And now uh, you, you see the prices that he's going off. At. I mean, I'll go with some, some bets to, that bet him down quite a bit to win the Masters after how we, how we played in the World Hero Challenge. But uh, not only in the sports book and in betting, but just the industry in general in terms of the TV ratings, uh, the revenue, the sponsorship. I mean, uh, you, you, you may not like what happened with him off the course in terms of his personal life, or uh, but he hit to, to disrespect or like disregard the impact he's had on the sport as a whole and growing it worldwide in popularity and making money for a lot of people. Uh, that, that would just be ignorant. I mean, he's uh, clearly, uh, one, uh, if not the most important player, one of the two or three most important players ever. Yeah, certainly. Now, let's run back to that 5-2 to two in majors. That I mean to do it over a, no, a number of years across tens of majors like can you explain for people who don't necessarily fully grasp the the meaning of 10 to 1 or plus 10,000 or plus these numbers that sports books put out can you explain the ridiculousness of what tiger was like when it was tiger versus the field like what that actually meant for for gamblers yeah, and that, that would basically mean if you thought Tiger was going to win uh, the, the Masters and he was 5-2 to two and he was the favorite, that would mean that essentially you're, you, for every $100 you bet, you're going to get 250 back. And, that, and that's, a, that's a pretty good return. However, uh, you, at the same time, you would look at a player like uh, like, like nowadays, like, like uh, Henrik Stenson or someone in the, in the Open Championship last year, it was like 25 or 30 to one, and he winds up winning. So you'll wind up winning $300 for every $10 you bet, or $3,000 for every every $100 you bet. So I mean, that, that's the that's the gap of what you were looking at. I mean, Tiger would be about five to two or some of the, in those regards in some of those events, and like he'd be the only player in single digits. You get Phil Mickelson likely at like 10 to one or so in some of the events, just because. It, 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 and I think the big reason why Tiger was so short is that the books knew that they were going to get Tiger money, yeah. and they just didn't want to leave themselves vulnerable to to a big to, to a big liability. I mean, even now, I mean, you'll see him coming back. I mean, he, I think he was like like fifty to one the last time he played at, uh, the British Open, and even though he had no chance of winning, they, the books just didn't want to take the chance because they knew people were going to bet Tiger, and just because of the, of the name and just the people hoping that he could recapture something for four days and, and, and harken back to the days when he, when he was winning majors in a contention on Sunday. So that's what puzzles me is because I don't gamble in Vegas. I don't 
I don't necessarily I know what the odds are for guys, but to be someone who whose perception of Tiger has at least sobered a lot in the past couple years, the fact that people will still that the books will still get the money to me, it's just so it's so crazy. And a lot of people, I guess, are dreaming with these bets. But I guess, is there any more fascinating gambling option at the sports book than what Tiger Woods odds are at every event he plays? And as someone who handicaps fields or, or like when we would go, when I would go to live books over in the, over in the UK before, it would be amazing to just see uh, the odds. And just when Tiger was in the field, you knew he was going to be a, a good choice. And that's just made the odds on anybody who could potentially win the event even better. Mm-hmm. Like, like the other players would be longer prices just because Tiger was going to be there at six to one or, Seven to one, or even shorter than that, and you're like, yeah, he's, he's not going to win. I mean, the field is too good and too deep, and he's not informed. Uh, so, so it, when and there are people that like like really good sharp golf betters, like when Tiger's in the field, they love it because it just makes the odds and everybody else that much better. Yeah, I know that the the constant phrase around Tiger nowadays is like, oh, he he pushes the needle. He he really forces ratings. Well, as you're saying, back in the day, he was pushing odds too. So golf handicapping is certainly something that I wanted to to discuss with you. It's uh it's becoming increasingly popular as just sports handicapping in general has become popular, especially in the United States. But I think in terms of golf, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is there is no other sport where 100 to one bets hit as often as they do in golf. Is that right? Would you agree with that? I would say yeah, you're, 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 you're going to get your largest percentage of long shot winners uh, in golf. I mean, I'm trying to think now and like even tennis and I mean, tennis occasionally you'll get a long shot winner. The, the, the woman who won the, the U S open a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, she was a real, she was a real long shot and, Horse racing, you'll you'll get a forty or a fifty to one shot to win the Kentucky Derby. But you look at the golf majors. Jimmy Walker was what one hundred and fifty to one, I think, to win the PGA last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Danny Willow wasn't short to win the Masters. I mean, you go back. Darren Clark's two hundred to one uh, when he won the Open a couple of years back. Stuart Sink was a was a long prize. I mean, Tom Watson, I think, was like five hundred to one when he nearly won a Turnberry. So, I mean. That's the great thing. I mean, it's four rounds, and any and these guys are so good that nearly any of them, for for if they can put together four solid rounds, they're going to put themselves squarely in contention. So, and, 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 yeah, the Grace, I think, last year was eighty to one at the PGA, and he was certainly in it on Sunday. I, I was, it's funny because I can remember the hit, uh, covering and watching the event. He's playing his first hole. He shot goes out of bounds, triple bogeys the first hole, and, and and after that, I mean, if he pars the hole, I mean, he. He's he's in the playoffs, so mm-hmm. it's uh, really that's the great thing when you're looking for these handicapping angles, especially in golf, looking for players who maybe have played well in majors, been there, and, and kind of uh, fell apart on Sunday, and, and can, they can regroup. Or if you're looking for like recent trends, like okay, this this major has been won by a player in this ranking range, or age or something like that. Any little angle you can find that might fit into a theme as to what the what the pattern of a winner and event can be can certainly uh, be constructive. And yet you'll still have the, the crazy, out of, out of the blue, completely unexpected winner that comes out of the golf world, which is a lot of fun. I, I imagine that makes it both better as a better uh, and also worse as a better. 
and possibly both. Like, cause there's, there's going to be some aspect of blindly throwing a dart at a dartboard and maybe it'll hit. Right. Well, he, he, here's a funny story from a few years back. One of the colleagues, uh, who, who I work with, uh, made two bets prior to the, to the open. He made, and it was the year that any else wanted to win. He made, he made two plays. He bet any else. And he bet and he bet Frank Seneca, and, and, he, and it looked like going into the weekend it was oh. Seneca play that was, that was going to be an action, and then uh, on Sunday else comes from from nowhere and winds up winning the event. It was completely, and he he just wound up stepping in a pile. Of, you know what? And that's smelling like you know what as well. So it was uh, uh, that that was funny. I can remember uh, the year Darren Clark had won. Uh, I uh, Dustin Johnson was my pick, and I just remember they, that, that they pushed that iron into the rough. Uh, on uh, I think it was thirteen or whatever, and I was like, "Oh, there we go. There's there's the tournament." So <laughs> you're so close, and and you, you think you're in it, and then, and even in St. Andrews, I, it was funny. We had to do a little contest or a little uh, a little thing. I, I wanted picking some long shots for some people, and I, I gave people Mark Leishman as a long shot, mm-hmm. uh, and he had played well overseas as well, and been involved in some major in the end. Some personal tragedy that he that he grew stronger from. Like, yeah, he's kind of. I think he's kind of peaking towards a big, and, and there he was. I think he was like two hundred and twenty thousand to one, and he, of course, he found himself uh, in in the playoff as well. So I mean, it, it's really exciting. It's really fun when you find someone, and they wind up being in contention. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can remember it over at Liverpool a few years back as well on. Saturday, I, I think the Hunter Man was like 150 to one or something like that, and then he found himself uh, right in the middle of the midst of things as well too. So it, it, it's great to uh, when, when you find that long shot and they're actually give you a little bit of life and some excitement, even if they don't win. But you, you feel good that hey, I was hey, I thought beforehand he might be in it and he made a run. It wasn't good enough, but it, it just it just makes you feel good even if you don't win. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's talk about the Masters because. The Masters odds, they've become this entity that people talk about from the day the PGA Championship finishes uh, every Monday after a tournament, just about all the way up to the last few days before the Masters in April. Aren't Masters odds a bit weird? Like, they're kind of crazy, the fact that how how much attention we pay to them. It, it is, and I, and I think it just goes and falls in line with just the feeling of the Masters in general. I mean, it, it's the first big event of the year. It, it means spring is right around the corner, baseball season as well, better weather, uh, it, it first major of the year, and there are usually so many storylines, whether it's been uh, Rory trying to complete the career grand slam or still win another green jacket, or can, can Tiger finally win, uh, break that uh, drought in majors. There's always, there's always something, or it's been someone early in the year who's gotten off to a great start in the West Coast swing. Can they continue the, the the momentum into the main into the majors? So I, I think all of those just and just the, the specialness of the Masters at Augusta every year and just what it means, just the uniqueness and the beauty of that place. Uh, it's a great made for TV event as well. I, I, just, I just think uh, people get really excited about that, and I think that all plays a part. What's more intriguing to you, uh, from your perspective only, the guys on the fringe of like the elite, the guys that sit maybe between. 40 and 50 to one um or are the elite players that sit around 10 to 12 maybe 15 to one or maybe even the long shots that that could get it done and strike gold in one week at like 150 to one what what's most intriguing to you how i will usually uh, approach an event is i'll look for a prefer a guy that's somewhere in like the 
the, the, the 20 to 20 to 30 to one type range that might fit. And I'll look for a complete bomber that, I mean, I know over in the UK books, they have a great, um, you can bet players each way, which is to finish, basically you can bet them to win. And then basically each way means to finish in the top five and get paid places two, three, four, and five. So, I mean, you basically look, if you can find a uh, hundred to one shot that gets paid, but that finishes third place, you're going to get paid for, 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 for three places. So, I mean, that, that's great. I mean, it's hard to bet favorites in golf and win. I mean, I, I know Justin Johnson won the USL, but I think he went off as a favorite last year in that event. But it, it's very rarely that you'll see uh, uh, the pre-tournament favorite wind up winning a major. And I, I just don't. I, I just think the field is too deep and too good that uh, that, that that someone outside of like the like if Jason if Jason Day seven to one or McIlroy is eight to one, George Keith is eight to one, and DJ is eight to one or ten to one. And it's hard because the prices are just so short on those guys. And I would much rather look for someone that might be twenty or thirty to one that has a chance to to to, to step up and make make that leap to to win. I like it. So with Augusta on the mind, I guess I think we're short. Uh, we are short of a hundred days or so until first round of the masters or at least masters week when uh when when people are going to listen to this how should they approach picking someone to win the green jacket because first time players have not won in i believe almost 30 years now repeat champions tend to have success what do you think people should think about when they think about picking a masters winner yeah i I would certainly throw the 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 the, the rookies out right away because then you go there for the first time and you're really really just you're overwhelmed. I mean, you, you kind of, I don't want to say you lose. You, the tournament's over and you lose when you step foot on the course. But until until you play that course over and over again and you know the greens and you, and, and you know how to attack certain holes, it, it, it's hard to win there. And at the same time, it's also hard to, to pick the favorite to win. I mean, I mean, Rory's, Rory's been favored there. Tyra's been favored there. Uh, Phil's been favored there consistently. I, I like looking for guys that, it's historically played that course well. Um, maybe didn't win it last year. Maybe didn't finish in the. I mean, even the the, the, the runner-up trend has been very. I mean, a lot of times people go, oh, he played so well, came so close last year. He'll bounce back and win the following year. And I mean, that doesn't happen very often either. I think it happened with Jordan a couple of years ago. But but prior to that, I think it had been Crenshaw was the last person to finish second and then bounce back the following year and win. So I mean, look for a guy maybe that's that that that. that Put up some good rounds, and maybe his maybe his tournament just kind of blew up with one round. I mean, you go out there and you shoot 68, 67, 70, and you got a you got a 75 or 76 mix, uh, missed in there. And I mean, that, that's basically four or five shots of improving you can find with someone, and uh, and maybe that maybe their price will be will be uh, indicative of, of, of some value. I mean, maybe maybe a guy like Brent Seneca who hasn't won there, and he he might finally be over the. He might be one of the post-hype Augusta-type players now because for years it was this will be the major that Brent Center can win, this will be the major, and then he had a couple of big heartbreaks there. And and now he's kind of forgotten about it a little bit in terms of being one of the better players on tour without a major. Maybe he's someone that could potentially break through. I mean, we have the interest in seeing how Adam Scott, if he can win again there, it could be fair uh, now without the long putter. I mean, he's someone that, I mean, I think obviously the big the storylines going in are going to be the return of Tiger Woods and then can Rory McIlroy complete the career slam there. And he, 
it's, it's funny how Rory really hasn't been in contention there mm-hmm. since since the uh, since the pull up on Sunday when when he probably when he had the big lead and really should have won. So I I, I, I don't know if he's kind of um, he's kind of the, the the course isn't conducive to him or or what. I mean, but but he's been so far in the lead on on Sunday he hasn't been in. I mean, he's put together a couple of backdoor top ten since then, but mm-hmm. he hasn't contended since that year. So it'll be interesting to see if he can with, with all this pressure now of, of a lost season. Uh, a year ago, and the injury, and can he bounce back and, and put himself in the mix with the shot to win our Sunday? Yeah, the, the the Masters is certainly a melting pot of storylines that I guess kind of is a is a production of six or seven months worth of golf fans waiting for another big major. Uh, before I let you go, a couple quick thoughts uh, on live betting during golf tournaments because it's four rounds, so you're going to have your 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 pre. Um, your pre-tournament kind of futures bets, you're going to have the option, though, in many cases, to place a bet after 18 holes, place a bet after 36 holes. My question to you is what is more intriguing, 54-hole uh, bets or after 18-hole bets? Now now you're talking my language. I love it. It's <laughs> beautiful. I, I like both of them. Yeah. Uh, and here we go. In 2009 at Turnberry, and here's my full disclosure, uh, after 36 holes – I went in to, and made a bet on Stuart Sink. Uh-huh. I, I guess at the time the trend had been uh, you, you need to be within however many shots, and he was I think five or six shots heading it back back headed into the weekend. And I think at the time he was still forty to one or so. And, and I'm uh, there's no way Tom, there's no way Watson will will hang on and be in the mix on Sunday. He'll he'll come back. So the lead is really this. Mm-hmm. And, and and here I am on Sunday holding a Stuart Sink ticket. And I'm like <laughs> I really want to lose this bet so badly. <laughs> I want Watson to win. I want to be here for history. But at least part of my trip got paid for with the with the winning ticket. But I I love the in in progress betting because I think it creates some really good value. I mean, you, you, especially at the at the Open, where, where where weather has so much of an indicator. Maybe a player went out and got in. He may be two over par, but he got caught in the worst part of the draw, and now he's going to. And that what way he shot in the worst part of the draw is really a good score for that. So it's a lot shots better than the field mm-hmm. and that went off with him. And he can make up ground with, with the good end of the weather tomorrow. I think there are a lot of things to find in terms of whether it's after 18 holes, whether it's after 36, or, or even entering Sunday. I mean, Sunday sometimes is a little bit harder because at that point, there's not a lot of time left. Trying to mean, you only get 18 holes left and. Uh, often there's a lot too many players to pass, but but I, I think after 18 and 36 holes, uh, there, there's definitely some value to be had in looking and looking for some players, especially uh, if you're paying attention to how uh, what part of the, the the draw they went off with, with starting times, uh, the, the weather. Uh, did, did they maybe just have one bad hole and then and the round blew up on that? Did they did they make a lot of long putts and they were very fortunate? And that probably isn't going to uh, continue tomorrow. Did someone miss a couple of really short, easy putts? And you know that they're going to—they're bound to start making some. So I mean, I, I think if you're watching and paying attention, there's definite value to be had uh, with in-tournament betting, and that's—and that I think is the next one of the next really big things mm-hmm. in sports betting in general. Uh, it's in, in-game live betting, whether it's in, in, in basketball, football, uh, tennis, baseball, or whatever. I think that's a really big market that a lot of people uh, who, who do this for a living are looking at. 
Yeah, it, you know, I try to get people to to have the the correct perspective when it comes to a major tournament because every single time, and it's easy to do this, but after 18 holes, you know, it's very easy for us to pronounce a champion uh, as media and golf and golf media members after 36 <laughs> holes, you know. But if you think about it, let's say Jordan Spieth has a three shot lead through 36 holes. That's kind of like the the Cavaliers having a 10 point lead in a basketball game. You know, you're at halftime. You got to remember, 36 holes yeah. is halftime of the basketball or the golf event. I can't remember. I mean, uh, I'm using a poor example now, but just just with um, with with, with, with DJ at Pebble Beach in, in 2010, just just how oh, he's you know, this is over, and four holes in, he he the lead was not only was the lead gone, and he he was out of it. I mean, so many things can happen. I mean, you you look at some of the the, the list of 36 and. And whole leaders going. It, it's just. I mean, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, remember he he was going to win at St Andrews too in uh, 2015. He was up three or four shots heading into the weekend. Oh, he's driving the ball great. He's making every putt. This will continue. And then what happened? The wind blew on on Saturday, and, and he just he just completely lost. It. Yeah. I mean, so much can happen in a court. It, it's, you're looking at a 36-hole leader and thinking that they're home free is a really bad thing to do. <laughs> One last thing I want to bring up, only because I've got you on the phone and because it's it's also a maybe a more niche side of the golf betting world, would be the, the prop bets that you will find in various locations for, let's say, the Masters. You can bet on the low Spaniard of the week or the low Englishman. Uh, or the low Aussie. Do you do you um, find yourself wanting to dabble in those things at all, uh, or you know, is because I feel like there's value to be had there, but it's also you know it can be unpredictable at all as always. There, there is there is value because it is unpredictable. I mean, ever for the longest time, people are going to bet uh, low, low Spaniard. Oh, it's got to be Sergio, but people a lot will fail to realize that Arthur Cabrera Bayo is a really good player. Yeah. Or oh, low Aussie. Oh, it's got to be Adam Scott. Well, maybe he'll not have a great putting lead. And this is before Jason when Jason Day was hurt. Before he even for oh, it's got to be Adam Scott. And then there's other players out there who 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 are really good. Whether whether it's Leishman or someone else who uh, wind up taking the cake. I mean, I I know someone that used to religiously bet Freddie Couples as low American <laughs> at the Masters just because he knew Couples was going to be around on the weekend and whether he could finish it off would be one story. But but but, but you're right. There's so many good players. There's a, there's a lot of value out there in, 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 in finding I mean, whether it's you know, nationality. I mean, they'll, they'll do continent. They'll do, they'll do Europe. They'll do Asia. I mean, they'll do a bunch of things. I mean, the first-round leader is always a good one, too. We, that was one of the fun things that we always used to try and uh, – yeah. Uh, who was your first round leader? And I, I can remember. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Muirfield. I, 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 where Shiv Kapoor went out <laughs> late, and he was one of the last tee times. Yeah. And we had to stay on. Shiv Kapoor was in the lead. Yeah. And we had to stay on the air because the leader was on the course. <laughs> Couldn't go off the air because the leader was on the course, and he wound up blowing up at the end of the round. But it, it's just funny to see guys and names like that. It, it's always a good story. Like it's one of the first. Running, we we send out like a, a running notes email every twenty yeah. minutes or so, and it's always meet the leader, and it's some random guy who no obviously no one's ever heard of, and here's a little bit of background on him. So that, that, that's one of the the fun things that we like to do on on Thursday is okay, who who who's it going to be this year? Who does nobody know anything about that 
you're going to see every shot of them for a couple of hours before they wind up shooting 77 or 78 on Saturday. <laughs> well, I didn't think we were going to get to Shiv Kapoor today, but we did, and I'm actually pretty <laughs> happy for it. Let's leave it at that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Golf.com podcast. Huge thanks to Chris Felica for taking some time out of his busy college football playoff schedule and uh, I'm sure a number of other media requests that he had going on today. Hopefully, after listening, you'll be able to make some winning bets of your own on the golf world in 2017. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. You can also let me know your thoughts on Twitter at Sean underscore Zak. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zak.